Occupy a Job on Wall Street is an autobiographical novel about New York City and the aughts, centering around a protagonist who is mentored by three sociopaths. The author has more than 15 years of experience on Wall Street bracketing the same time period. While everything that follows is an accurate description of the world he witnessed, names and locations have been changed to protect people's identities. Episode 33, The Dismal Scientist. This episode is about an economist named Dwyer. The standing joke on Wall Street is that an economist is someone who doesn't have the personality to become an accountant and is incredibly good at predicting the past. Indeed, it's unclear why hedge funds have in-house economists since everything a hedge fund manager does is predicated on making asymmetric decisions, and if all the economists in the world were laid end-to-end, -end, they still wouldn't reach a conclusion. Furthermore, not only are economists a rare breed on Wall Street, the economist in question we are going to talk about was a Jew from Ireland that we used to call the Leprechaun. Now, this itself is unusual. There are two European countries with hardly any Jews. One is Spain, which of course persecuted them terribly during the Inquisition, exiled them all, and as a consequence never produced a single scientist of note since that date. Even their last Nobel laureate was really a Peruvian. Ireland's Jews were historically well tolerated. There was just never really that many of them. The only Irish Jew you've ever heard of is Daniel Day-Lewis. And now, I'll introduce you to one more. Dwyer, the Irish economist from Long Island, a.k.a. the Leprechaun. Dwyer and I used to work together back in the early 2000s. He was a young guy back then, and the role of an economist in the investment process was resurgent, primarily because we were in a recession. The last recession was 10 years beforehand, so much like today, it was hard to imagine one actually happening, even as we were going through it. Also, because Dwyer was a young guy, he hadn't predicted 10 out of the last three recessions like most economists. He had, however, clearly anticipated the one we were in and managed to leverage that prediction into a job at our hedge fund, which was one of the largest in the world back then. Unfortunately for Dwyer, when he arrived at our firm, he was assigned to a soulless portfolio manager we'll call... Steinhard. It's early 2003, and Dwyer thinks the economy is on the rebound. This, however, is an out-of-consensus call. The market has fallen the past two years in a row, Bush is embarking on his fool's errand in Iraq, hedge funds are going out of business, there's layoffs all throughout Wall Street. However, Dwyer has some credibility, and based on his optimism, the CIO of our fund tells his portfolio managers to put 10% of their money into a sector that would benefit from an economic rebound. Steinhardt doesn't really want to do this. He's basically a momentum guy. He'd find out where the big trading flows were and just get his trader to jump on Instanet and front-run them. Everything was going down, so poor Steinhardt's trader had to just call the big trading desk to see what was being sold in size, then he'd short the stocks through the Instanet and cover the positions on the close. That was his business model. And it worked. So Steinhardt approaches Dwyer and asks what he should do with the 10% of the portfolio he's being forced to wager on an economic rebound. Dwyer says you want to get a long cyclical stock in Europe, and the one he likes is Pescheny. Steinhardt buys his 10% position in Pescheny, and the stock goes down every day for a week. Steinhardt is furious, but there's nothing he can do because the CIO has told him to allocate the money this way. For the next five trading days, he comes into the office and the first thing he does is scream at Dwyer for half an hour about what a quote-unquote fucking idiot he was. 
Now, I'm not exaggerating this. We had a big open plan office, and he'd walk right over to Dwyer's desk and yell so loud at him that security checked in the first time to make sure there wasn't some sort of riot going on. After the first day, Dwyer would keep a roll of paper towels on his desk to help clean up the spit that Steinhardt left on his desk and keyboard. The second week is worse. Pesheny used to trade in Europe, which opened at 3 a.m. Eastern Time, so Steinhardt would know how much he lost even before he walked into the office, and now it's all he could think about. Dwyer becomes a nervous wreck. Here's a guy who is used to looking at long economic cycles and waiting for weeks or even months for data, and he's being judged on a daily basis by a total fucking demon of a man who is now taken to throwing full cans of soda at him. Now, I just want to repeat that last line, because some of you listening to this who have entered the workforce recently may not really have taken it in properly. All sorts of weird, unacceptable things used to happen on trading desks back then. And admittedly, this is an extreme example, but when the European markets finished up at 11.30 a.m. and Pesheny inevitably closed lower on the auction, Steinhardt would throw cans of Diet Coke at Dwyer's head. They'd hit him really hard and spray soda all over his computer screens and the wall behind him, which was soon stained brown despite the cleaning personnel's best efforts. We used Bloomberg software on the desk, and they had recently replaced all the keyboards with fingerprint scanners so traders couldn't share terminals. Dwyer became so terrified of coming to work, his hands would shake and it took him five or more times to get his thumb scanned. So it's been two weeks of torture for this poor guy, and I decide Dwyer needs a break, and tell him to come skiing with us one Sunday to chill out. We turn up at Hunter, or whichever mountain was closest back then, and sure enough, Dwyer's on the first chairlift with us. Three of us are heading up the slope, and Dwyer pulls out a beer from his jacket and just starts venting at what an acceptable excuse for a human being Steinhardt is. He gets halfway up the mountain, crushes the beer, and nails it into the trash can below that the ski mountain uses to catch garbage being discarded from the chairlift. Nothing but net. He opens another beer, and that's finished by the time we start our first run. It's 9 a.m. This is probably the last skiing day of the year. We're early, and there's no crowds. We get eight runs in before lunch, and Dwyer drinks maybe 12 beers in that time, bitching about Steinhardt the entire time. We break for lunch, and Dwyer drinks another two Budweiser's over fish and chips. Then he says he's had enough skiing, and he's going back to the city to hang out at his local pub. We're like, are you okay to drive? And he says he's fine. But he still has beers in his car for the trip back. I couldn't tell you how he spent the rest of his Sunday, but if I had to guess, he drinks all day and doesn't sleep more than an hour. So Dwyer gets up on Monday morning and prepares for another week on Wall Street where he expects to literally be physically assaulted by his boss for the next five trading days. Now, he's hammered. He's drunk probably 40 beers in the past 24 hours. It's amazing he has a pulse. On the way out of his apartment, he grabs a lacrosse helmet and puts it on his head, wondering why he hadn't thought of it last week as a brilliant way of deflecting flying Coke cans. He gets on the bus, and when it's his stop, he misses three feet of steps and crashes down into the midtown pavement. He hits the ground so hard he rips open his heavy jacket at the elbow and begins bleeding through it. He bounces back up. No worries, no one saw me. Get into the office, just get into the office and pretend to work. No one will know. The traders think I went home at midday. No one knows you're still drunk. You can do this. You can do this. Now, unbeknownst to Dwyer, overnight, Pesheny had gotten a takeover bid from a giant aluminum firm called Alcan, itself now owned by Rio Tinto. And the stock is up huge. 
Back then, portfolio managers used to clip 15% of their profits as a guaranteed bonus at the end of the year. Steinhard will personally walk away with over a million dollars on this trade. But Dwyer is an economist. Even when he's sober, he doesn't log into Bloomberg from home and certainly doesn't obsessively follow stock prices or news. He staggers into the office and sits down looking at his keyboard in confusion because he can't get it started properly. I see him getting increasingly frustrated and tell him, don't forget, in order to log into Bloomberg now, you need to use your thumb. But instead of swiping his thumb in the scanner, he tries to type using his thumbs. Here's Dwyer in a ripped shirt, bleeding from both elbows, wearing a lacrosse helmet, and he's got his hands turned upside down like a chimpanzee, trying to type his login information in with his thumbs. It's already one of the most retarded scenes I've observed in my career. And then Steinhard walks into it. Now, Steinhard should be happy, right? He's just printed a million dollars on this stock being bought. Not only that, he was forced to take the position in the first place by the CIO. So even if he lost money, he wouldn't have been held personally responsible. In a mere two weeks, he's pulled off the trade of a lifetime. He's eventually going to buy a boat and name it Pesheny. But he's apoplectic. He stalks down the trading desk, and as he's approaching, he's so angry, he throws his Diet Coke can, which rebounds off Dwyer's lacrosse helmet and explodes against the wall. Dwyer turns around, and Steinhardt gets right in his face and yells, Why is this only a 10% position? You're a fucking idiot! Episode 34 of Occupy a Job on Wall Street will be out soon. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And hey... If you like this podcast, tell one of your friends to listen. And if you don't like it and think it sucks, then tell everyone you know how bad it is.